What goes into moving from right tackle to left tackle? What's important? What are we not thinking of? What goes into left tackle? Moving to left guard. We will find out. We have an expert that's going to come by and tell you all the ins and outs of it. Also, we will talk about the quarterback competition because, honestly, that's what we promised to do. This is the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. You are Locked On Ole Miss, your daily podcast on the Ole Miss Rebels. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome to the show. This is the Locked On Ole Miss Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Um, also, thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss Podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. So do us a favor, subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you have, tell a friend. Also, um, hit the bell for updates and notifications, and of course, upvote the video itself. We'd appreciate it very much, but it should be a lot of fun. Anyway, we got a very special guest today. We're going to have um, later in the show, Todd Wade is going to come by and talk about offensive line play, but we're going to talk a little bit about offensive line play right now. We're going to have short segments um, before it goes, Um, but I do want to talk about the offensive line and why this team is where it needs to be. And the offensive line should be the leaders of the team, I think. Because, as Todd Wade is going to talk about in the third segment, they're going to be the first ones that's going to be fighting. Your quarterback isn't going to jump in there. So your offensive linemen need to lead. And Jeremy James, that might not be his personality. Nick Broker, it might not be his personality. Mason Brooks, it might not be his personality. Those guys, Caleb Warren and Eli Acker, are going to have to form a cohesive unit that as they walk around, they command attention. You know, we are we have been talking all about culture and the need for all these different people to come in and, and adjust to what is going on. It's a, it's a side effect of the transfer portal and what we're doing. So don't everybody freak out about what's going on whenever they hear culture problems because it is normal. Whenever you have different people coming together, you have to get together as soon as possible. Everybody remembers last year's team and how close-knit they were. How Matt Corral was the undisputed leader of that team. And he was the voice that everybody listened to. Jerry and Ely, Snoop Connor, all of these guys, they took it in from him. Who is going to be that guy this year? And the number one candidate is on the offensive line, the Nick Brokers, who went to media days, as we saw. You saw his video yesterday that we put up. Jonathan Mingo went to media days yesterday. Cedric Johnson went to media days yesterday. Those are the early candidates to be that guy. Now, I do think like Otis Reese is going to be that guy. And there's going to be people that were that guy at other places that aren't quite speaking up just yet. There's a comfort level that they have to hit to. And until then, the offensive line is going to have to pick up the slack. It just is. Nick Broker and Jeremy James are going to have to be that guy. Eli Acker and Mason Brooks are going to have to be that guy. Caleb Warren is going to have to be that guy. Whoever these 6th, 7th, 8th offensive linemen, the way they carry themselves, this is going to be a run-the-football team. It is going to be a perfect storm situation for this offensive line. 
if there is a leadership problem on this team, it would be because the offensive line did not assume the responsibility of taking it. Not that they can't. Not that they won't. Not that anything like that is really in the cards. But, just saying, if there's a leadership vacuum on this team, whenever, I think, six starters come back on offense and four of them on offensive line, it's going to be the offensive line's problem. It is going to be their doing. Them, I guess, slurking back and um, not taking the responsibility, which I think they will. I think somebody like Nick Broker, I think somebody like Jeremy James, they may not be the most comfortable talking, but that doesn't mean that you don't lead. The best football teams that I was a part of, and just full disclosure, I was in um, McGee in the early 90s when we were beating everybody except for Taylorsville, but everybody. I mean, we played for a state championship. Mon Nicholson um, and those guys, are they beat us in the state championship game. We were a good team. But the best teams that we had were with leaders that they didn't vocal lead. They didn't performatively lead. You just knew that you needed to do the right thing. The first year we were at McGee, and I think um, we lost one game in the in the playoffs or something like that. I think we got beat by South Pike. Chris Mangum was on that team. Chris Mangum was not a vocal leader. Chris Mangum was just a leader by the way he acted, by the way he did things. He kind of pointed people in the right direction, and they got it done. That 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 was that leader. The next year we had a real vocal leader. Um, that came in and did everything. We had a young quarterback that year. But we had um, Harold Shaw, who was growing up, who was going to be a star, ended up going to Southern Miss. He became a vocal leader of that team. And that's not really what we needed. He didn't quite replace what Chris Mangum provided the year before, even though he was more vocal in what he was doing. Really good player. Both of them signed college scholarships, but the team wasn't quite where it needed to be. That's my point there. So whenever we look for leaders in the offensive line, it's not necessarily a vocal thing. It's more of a do things the right way thing. It's more of a, I don't know, Parade Jerry wasn't a leader for Ole Miss vocally. He was a leader as everybody was afraid of him. And everybody did the right thing on that 2018 at the end of the year because they were honestly afraid of Perret. Wasn't a vocal leader, necessarily. It was more of a do this the right way or you have to answer to me. There's many different types of leadership. There's some toxic, some not. I'm not saying any of that. But there are ways for the offensive line to take control of this team and to become the leaders of this team. And if they do that, they have a chance to be really special. I do want to tell you right now about Built Bar and specifically the Coconut Brownie Chunk Puff. Yeah, I said it. The Coconut Brownie Chunk Puff. From the people who invented healthy and tasty comes the latest gift to your taste buds. You've probably tried the amazing Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar, but guess what? Your friends at Built Bar have given it the Puffs treatment. 
That's right, coconut brownie built bar flavor that you love and delicious chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. It's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. But stop drooling and listen. They're good for you too. High calorie, low calorie, low sugar, high protein, all delicious. Coconut brownie chunk puffs are only here for a limited time. So go to built.com now to make sure you don't miss out. They are going to go fast because they taste amazing. Delicious coconut, rich, sweet brownie, creamy marshmallow. Stop fantasizing. Get to built.com to order your coconut brownie chunk built puffs right now. Go to built.com. Use promo code LOCK15. All one word, LOCK15. And get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, which NFL stars move the betting line the most? Starting July 18th, Locked On gives you the 50 most valuable players in the NFL from the odds makers at Bet Online. Available July 18th, that was um, this past Monday, the Locked On NFL podcast. Wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube, you can check out who is the guy that makes all the value go. Like Alvin Kamara right now is sitting, I think, around 37. So it's kind of kind of interesting to see. I've been monitoring my Twitter feed and all of that to see what is going on. Anyway, yesterday we talked about the quarterback competition and the adversity that both quarterbacks have faced. And you don't really think about the adversity, but the Auburn game, the Baylor game, in for Luke Altmaier, Jackson Dart, that spring game, both of which caused the reactionary members of the fan base to react in the same way. And they go all in on Jackson Dart after the Sugar Bowl. We need to get Jackson Dart. We have to get him because you saw the Sugar Bowl because that's exactly what's going to happen in the future. We have to get Jackson Dart, oh my goodness, after the spring game. Luke Altmaier is the guy. um, He can do whatever he needs to do. It's all reactionary. So it's important to not listen to those people. These are the people that view an event, say Ole Miss doesn't play well well against Arkansas and loses the game. It is going to be a straight timeline moving forward that Ole Miss will never get better or worse in the future. It's going to come straight off of that until the next data point in which they will go straight off of that. It, it's, it's a crazy thing with fandom that unless you're in it and see it, you can't really understand it. it it's just a bizarre thing. And because of that, we look at what's going on. The adversity, how they react to adversity, is going to determine who comes out in the fall full of piss and vinegar, ready to go, ready to compete, ready to win the job. Is it going to be Luke Altmaier, who did a fantastic job of keeping Jackson Dart at arm's length during spring practice? and maintaining that lead all the way through from start to finish. He's a good quarterback, guys. 
He's a good quarterback. And I tell you guys all the time, whoever wins this job, as long as somebody wins this job, whoever wins this job is going to make Ole Miss football better. People don't believe me. People don't really understand how to take that. But it's absolutely the case. Whether it's Jackson Dart, who has the higher ceiling, who I've said, but he also has the lower floor. If it's Luke Altmaier that wins the job, he's got a little bit lower ceiling than Jackson Dart, but he's got a higher floor. And these guys are going to perform in the ways they know how. The one thing you notice from the spring game is Jackson Dart reverted, since he didn't really feel comfortable, didn't really know the offense, he reverted to what he knows best, what he does best, what he's comfortable with. And that's just, you know, duck duck it and chuck it downfield. And the deep balls, even though sometimes it was there, he was a couple of decent throws on deep balls away from that being a completely different situation in the spring game. And you saw some some completions to Michael Trigg to where this offense could be really dangerous. And the important thing to realize about a spring game is you can't take anything schematically. They're designed not to give you anything schematically. Jackson Dart had Michael Trigg and a bunch of second-string running backs and second-string wide receivers. Luke Altmaier did get Zach Evans, who played like four snaps, and Ulysses Bentley, and those guys got out of the game quickly. But he did have the starting wide receivers and the backup tight ends. Neither had the full package. Understand that when you watch the spring game or anything's going on. Neither had the full package. And because of that, I think it's fair to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. I just think it is. And I think fall camp is going to tell the story with these guys moving forward. What I want from Jackson Dart, the same thing I've wanted for six months from him, is for him to relax, not try to win the job on every throw, and just hit checkdowns. You got Michael Trigg, you got Zach Evans, you got Lucy's Bentley, you've got some of the best checkdowns in the SEC this year. Use them. Don't duck it and chuck it. Luke Altmaier, I want him to be a little bit more aggressive. He can hit the checkdowns all day. I want to see him go downfield a little bit more. I want him to see him get out of his comfort zone a bit. Now, take care of the football and do what you're supposed to do, but make the plays that need to be made, whether they're down the field or at the line of scrimmage. The ball needs to go to a certain level. Don't force it in the deep level. Don't force it in the small level. Just do it. Anyway, coming up after this break, we're going to take it real quick. We will have Todd Wade, who's going to come back and talk about um, the Tommyville-Tuberville probation era, Tommyville-Tuberville Tommy slurking out in the middle of the night, um, how that how the team handled that, the bowl game situation, Romero Miller on the list of top five quarterbacks of all time. And, of course, he will talk about the offensive line, like Jeremy James and Nick Broker moving position. He will give his... Um, experience in the NFL and talk a little bit about that move. So stick around. 
All right, thanks for making the Lockdown Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Do not forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Um, Say whatever you want to say. Just leave a five-star review. That will help others find the podcast as well. You can say how Steve, you're braggadocious and know nothing, but your guests are really good. And I have an example of that here right now. Todd Wade is joining us on the show. How are you doing, Todd? Doing good, Stephen. How are you? Pretty good. Um, it's kind of funny. We were talking off air before we came on. We're about the same age. So we were going through Mississippi High School football at essentially the same time. And Ole Miss was going through, let's say, let's call it a transition period. Because if I'm not mistaken, you signed in 95. Is that correct? Right. So you went to Ole Miss in the heart of this probation. I tell people all the time. Other than SMU getting the death penalty, the second hardest hit was that mid-90s Ole Miss probation. Speak a little bit about that and what that did up there, what you went through. Yeah, and well, now they're when you get these the penalties, uh, when they come back to you, it seems teams can rebound a little, little better than they could then. So for us, that was a big deal in the mid-90s, uh, getting that kind of probation. And at the time, not being – recruiting nationally as much as we do now so it was kind of uh you're going you're going we set ourselves back with that probation but you know Tarville came on and his first meeting with me um before before I signed or committed um you know kind of kind of blew me away uh, this this kind of uh this attitude that we have not really seen in a while, talking about national championships and that can be done here, and it's like, okay, where do I sign? Uh, it, it, it was, it need, you needed that, and I felt like they recruited a lot of guys that were kind of tall, frame guys that could, uh, uh, that they could kind of build themselves. Oh, I mean, you know, when you can't get a, a five-star guy that's just ready to play and just built out of high school and ready for SEC play. You that's kind of your next thing is you go for that that range of player that you can do things with and move maybe move to another position. It could be a safety that ends up playing linebacker or, or so forth. But they're able to carry they have the frame to carry the weight, and that was kind of a I think more of a Jimmy Johnson type recruiting uh, uh, method that he that he chose, and uh, Tuberville got it from him. Yeah, it's really cool. And I was thinking about the era that you played in. Um, what what memory stands out? What was your favorite game of that period of time? You know, um, I always tell people, for me, I always thought about the offensive line. So, yes, it was a team effort for everybody in certain games, but I'm, I'm always thinking about what, whichever game the offensive line did, you know, did, did really good in. Um, so there were games that we that I actually lost, that we lost that still bothers me. You know, I thought, think about it. Um, my senior year, we lost to Georgia in home. Um, we shouldn't have. We destroyed them up front, did everything we possibly could do. Uh, I think Deuce ran for 200 or something like that and just didn't, didn't, we couldn't, we couldn't cover them that day. And so there's games like that that really bothered me, but there's wins, obviously the LSU wins, being, winning 97, 98, 99 uh, against, the, against them twice there. Um, and, and um, just another a couple other times, even my, earlier in my career, uh, we beat Georgia two years in a row. Um, but that was before we actually were actually really good. Um, that was just underdog mentality came in there and, and took care of Georgia uh, back to back. But 
you know, it, it was just specific games. It's just they're all kind of different with their body. I, I loved um, beating LSU 98 at home. I thought that was a lot of fun. But so was 97 there because we were, we were heavier underdogs. And I think there might have been ranked eight, fourth or eight, maybe eighth in the country at the time. So it was a, it was a, it was a uh, big win for us there, and it really got our program going. That '97 game, just to talk about um, offensive line a little bit, is the game that's known because LSU had um, Booger McFarland, and he was the mm-hmm. big defensive line for LSU. And Matt Luke came in at 260 pounds and just kind of pushed him around that day. Talk talk about that a little bit. You know. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember the type of defense they ran, uh, but it, but yeah, it was um, guys did a really good job up front. Matt did a good, great job, um, you know, getting off on linebackers and uh, finishing blocks. We finished, we finished really well that day. Um, so running backs were able to, you know, get to the next level and uh, get some yards, and we had good, good pass pro as well. Yeah, yeah, that 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 was a fun game because the week before LSU had um, beaten Steve Spurrier in Florida at home, and LSU was all talking about how they were waking up the echoes, and then the very next week, I, I that is a game that me personally I really enjoyed because I've always enjoyed our wins at Tiger Stadium, mm-hmm. even almost more than like Vaught Hemingway Stadium or back in the day in Memorial Stadium. That was I mean, yeah. fun. Yeah, it is. It's also just I love good playing. Love. I love going to that stadium period because it's just a, it's probably my favorite um, built stadium as far as design. It still has the old school arches uh, around the stadium and it's just a, it's a very historic look. Yeah, it's really cool. And I tell people all the time, I make um, lists every now and then. I'm on TikTok with all the kids and a bunch of people 20 years younger than me. So I do a top five list from time to time. And um one of the things I did, I did the top five quarterbacks in Ole Miss history. And Ramara Miller, for me, made it on that list. And that is because his class with Deuce McAllister and him and all that made it okay for people to pick Ole Miss again after that probation. Yeah. And Absolutely. that's, yeah, that's the reason I include him in that list. And I don't know if people understand the impact that Ramaro had in the future. There was no Eli. There's no Matt Corral. None of that happens without Ramara Miller choosing to that's come right. to Ole Miss back in the day. That's, that's right. And, and, and we, you know, for a while, so before we went really national recruiting as far as getting guys out of Georgia and Florida and all those places, uh, that actually actually out of high school, really good players. Um, it was more in-state. It was more in-state battles. You know, you're kind of just back in the 80s and then coming into the 90s, it was just kind of a lot of your top 10, top 12 guys in Mississippi – you might get one or two at Ole Miss, maybe one or two at State, and then the rest were all going out of State. It wasn't until then that we were able to start securing most of that class and keeping them in State. So once you're able to do that and solidify your team, well, when you get a, start getting a better team, but then you're able to get more notoriety and go outside of the State and start picking good players from there, as we do now. Okay, um, you were here um, for the changeover from Tuberville to Cut, correct? Mm-hmm. What was it like before that Egg Bowl in 98? I guess Romaro had just gotten hurt, um, and everything went down. David Morris started that game. What was mm-hmm. that like? Uh, I remember maybe a game or two prior, we are playing Arkansas, and we, we lost – 
at Arkansas. It was a cold, rainy game. It was just a – we just didn't have our stuff together. Now, however, that week also, players were starting to talk about, hey, is the staff leaving or not? So that was definitely that was definitely going on in the locker room. So guys were kind of already um, taking their guess as what was happening. But it was still kind of a secret. Nobody really knew. But it just kind of had that feel, and there were clues along the way, things your position coaches would tell the group and things. But um, there was a lot of that. So then – but then, then going into that game – Romero got hurt at the end of the Georgia game and at Georgia. And then we, so we came in, so he was out. So the, you know, we just wanted to lift up David Morris to get him ready. He was a red shirt freshman and, you know, we, we needed him. He's near quarterback and needed him to step up and play. And I didn't think we gave him enough. I don't think the staff gave him enough credit during that game and let him throw the ball that much. Uh, I, I thought they really probably should, could have opened up our offense a little more. Um, it might not have been a, you know, we went, definitely went more of a conservative approach, but they shut down a running game. They, 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 were, they, they just lined it up. They knew we could completely rely. We had to be able to throw the ball, and we just did not. We did not throw the ball. So it was just – did not – it was just tough. Uh, it made it made that game very tough. We played uh, we played him here and lost. And I remember the next day on next day on TV, um, I'm I'm at home and watching the news conference and he Tuberville's at Auburn. So that had been in the works all season. It you know it had actually been decided before the season started. Um, and I learned that from that same staff uh, later on. But and it was just kind of inner conflicts with the university about different things such as an IPF and things like that. But that had already been in the works. But that didn't matter. Um, we we were kind of didn't know we didn't know if we we're going to play in a bowl game or what. Then we right around that time that we that that was announced that we're playing the bowl game. Here comes our coach, and it was interesting. John Schaefer at the time, our athletic director. He had us all. In the, he had us all in the uh, team meeting room, and he he was kind of curious. He wanted to know what we were thinking, and he named a few names of some coaches, and um, pretty much the whole room chose Cutcliffe. And I don't know if that was just if that was already decided or what, but it sure felt like we had somewhat of a decision in that. And he wasn't there much longer, but sure enough, Cutcliffe came, and we were able to um, quickly put in just a base basic offense and defense and go play uh, Texas Tech in the Independence Bowl and win. Yeah, I I was actually at that game. Um, That was my um, Christmas present that I got right before I went into the Navy. So Mm -hmm. that was, you know, the family with that. So we drove over to Shreveport and saw that game. But y'all had like 15 practices to put in a really a completely different system because kind of what Tennessee was doing at that time was different than what Noah Mazzoni was doing at the time. Absolutely. And, and meshing that together will always be like a top five accomplishment at Ole Miss for me. No, it, it really was. Um, the way we won that game, too, was physical. We just got down to it and just kind of rallied behind Coach Cutcliffe, who at the time was in um, – he was in bad shape. I don't know if you remember. He, had, he was in the hospital. Uh, he, he, he had health issues, too, so we didn't know – we didn't know – how bad it was going to get or what. Um, so we went and we rallied behind him, and he was on the sidelines. If you go back and watch that game now and look at him, I mean, he looked like an old man. 
And, you know, he, he was really, I mean, it, it, it got him bad. I mean, they got him out of the hospital and everything, but it was interesting. Um, he was, um, he was fighting it out there just to be on the walk on that sidelines. And, uh, we, 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 we took care of him and, um, you know, something to build on going into his first season. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about the 2022 team for a little bit, specifically the offensive line. Um, it's not very often I have an expert, and I will call you an expert on the offensive line because you played in the league doing it. Uh, but we have four starters coming back. The offensive line is the going to be the undisputed leader of this team. Mason Brooks transfers in, and you have Zach Evans and Ulysses Bentley in the backfield. This is a recipe for a high-running offense, right? Yes, it is, uh, and, and I know the I know, I know the I know the staff is very excited about um, our new running backs mm-hmm. as well. Which are top two guys that are there's there's a lot of promise, and you usually don't hear that from assistants. They're usually more a little more mm-hmm. uh, conservative about what they say. So they they think a lot about our running backs now, um, and you know where that can go. You know, for getting back four stars in the offensive line is a really big deal. Uh, and those guys should be the leaders. I've always had a funny thing, and I've had a, I've had a coach before mention this, but your leaders – and Joe Gibbs actually, uh, when I was playing with the Redskins, mentioned this. And, and your leaders should come not from the quarterback, not from the running backs. You should come from the big guys up front because those are the guys that you visualize as your leaders. It starts with them. It starts with the big guys. So, you know, I remember – Gosh, it might have been when when Coach Nutt was here. They're talking about Dexter McCluster. Dexter McCluster was the leader of the offense, and he was awesome, great player. However, that's not if really if you really sit down and think about it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's going to be with these guys up front, offensive line, and defensive line. That's where it starts. I mean, when you, you know if the team's getting ready to get in a fight, is the leader going to be up front? Is the quarterback going to be now? Corral, that, that might be a different story. He <laughs> might be the first guy in there. But it's it's going to be your big guys up front, so it is, and they need to know that always a line because that that's uh, that is where it starts, and those guys, uh, the team, if they're you know doing their job and playing well, it resonates with the rest of the team, especially on the aggressive front, and sets the tone for the rest of the team. Okay, um, one more question, and I'll let you go. I do appreciate you joining us today. Um, Jeremy James is moving from right tackle to left tackle, and Nick Broker is moving from left tackle to left guard. Explain the differences and what goes into those moves for different people and why that might be happening. Uh, well, for, first, moving from right tackle to left tackle, uh, you know, it d- depends on your experience playing that position. Um, someone's been playing, if, it, if for instance, someone's playing right tackle all their life, and then they had to go to left handed stance, their weight. Uh, position maybe a little more uh, they might be leaning more to the left on, in, in, in their stance so they've got to balance that and have a, more of a balanced uh, stance and setup uh, so that it takes that takes time to get used to um, I'd move over a little bit on the left during, especially during practice in the NFL just in just in the in, the in event that something happened uh, and it felt felt, felt very strange because I played right tackle all my life um, so it's not going to be that much different position-wise from right tackle, left tackle, as it be from left tackle, left guard. But left tackle, left guard should should be um, a little bit easier for broker. Uh, the fact that you can get on your guy quicker. It's just like it's just like a tackle if you're going to run play action and you're jump you're jump setting the defensive end. You're trying to get your hands on them as fast as possible. 
it's going to be the same same way for left guard, but it's different. You're operating in space that's different, so your timing's off. So it just it's just it's just it works differently like that. But it's different for from for everybody else. It's it can be how you're built, um, how your your stance, everything. Uh, it just some people it's more natural for people to switch. I think I think both of them will uh, do that and be successful. I think it's a good move. I think it's a good move for Broker, who's who's been a really good left tackle for us, and maybe for his future as well. Um, playing um, left guard, um, he could possibly get drafted as a guard. So this is something that he could embrace, that could uh, really help his career and obviously help Ole Miss. But um, you know, same 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 thing about switch from right tackle left tackle. Those are both big moves, but. I feel confident they'll be able to do that. And having Broker over there, him moving to left guard, it's like having, have, you know, you're, you got you got your guy right next to you that played the position for a while and knows what he's doing. He's smart. So the communication there, which is huge, uh, should be satisfactory. All right. Get more of your SEC by making Locked On SEC your second listen every day. Chris Gordy and his local experts make Locked On take you across the SEC in 30 minutes. Make Locked On SEC your second listen every day. Todd, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I hope I can talk to you again, especially as football season gets going. And and anyway, I hope you have a great day, and thank you for coming on the show, man. Yes, Steve. Thank you. All right. Hotty toddy. Hotty toddy.